our world has developed a new idea of what life is all about. And so I want to kind of touch on us having a fresh start with our own worldview and, and really maybe not a fresh start, but getting it back to where it ought to be. There was a, in a wealthy suburb outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, a group of high school students were asked this question by someone that was there to interview them. The question was this, was Adolf Hitler wrong in murdering millions of Jews? They said yes. But surprising was not just why yes, but listen to their reasoning why it was yes. They said that, well, you see, Hitler was defeated by the Allies, and in a war, like everything else, the victor gets to define reality. The Allies determined that what Hitler had done was wrong, therefore, he was wrong. Now, did you catch that? The victor defines the reality and what is right and wrong. And since the Allies won the war, we determined that killing and murdering the Jews was wrong, therefore it was wrong. Had Hitler won, then he would have been vindicated as righteous in what he had done. I mean, these, these students, they came from Christian homes in the Indianapolis area. They were, there really is no excuse for them to be ignorant about morals and righteousness and what is right and wrong and the implications of what their reply really was. But only one of the students made this statement. He said, I think Hitler would have been wrong even if he had won the war and brainwashed everyone into believing that he was right. One student stood out against the others and defined what was right and wrong. I think we're engaged in a battle today between worldviews. And there, there are so many different ideas of what life is supposed to be like and who defines what life is and who defines how we're supposed to live and what is right and what is wrong in our world today. And, and in this idea, what is at stake are the hearts and the souls of our children and the generations to come. Statistics tell us that in the church today, we are retaining only about 3 to 7% of our young people once they graduate high school. And that to me is, I feel ashamed for us as a church that, that somehow we have gone wrong in passing forth and passing down the values and the ideas of what is right and what is wrong, what is godly, what is ungodly, what is sin and what is righteousness. And our children today, as they're growing up, as they leave our homes, they're beginning to define for themselves what they believe to be true. And many of them are leaving the church. We need to understand, and I think we need to really understand, and we need to put our faith and our belief in the Bible in order for us to have a biblical worldview that's going to shape and change not only our lives today, but generations that are yet to come. Now, I did some research this week and decided not to bore you with all of it, but just a few things. And really what, what I came down with was um, a, a few things that I really think are important for us to look at. And, and so there, there are five major different worldviews. Now really there's a plethora of worldviews out there, and they are splinters off of every different kind, and you can find a variety of ways in which people want to believe today. But five of these are what we would classify as the major ideas in which we see people living by today. So I want to I start to share some of them with you. The first one is this. 
It's called naturalism. Naturalism is the belief that the system of nature is the whole of reality. The system of nature is the whole of reality, and and all of human experience can be described through natural law. It emphasizes the biological evolution as true and that there are no supernatural realities out there at all. There's no soul. There's no spirit. As a matter of fact, man is just a chance byproduct of evolution. And the only proof that there really is is scientific proof and values, and catch this, values and morals under naturalism don't exist. Only preferences. We classify this type of person as an either an atheist or an agnostic. They either believe that there is no God or they believe that there is a God, but we really can't know who he is or anything really about him. The second worldview is called pantheism. It's the belief that everything in nature, everything in nature is divine. With this view, there's kind of a a blurring of the distinctions between the creator and the creation, as well as an attack on the personality and the nature of God himself. Pantheism tends to equate God with the process of the universe, and everything else is just an illusion. Man is spiritual, eternal, and impersonal. There really is no individualism. And really, all is just our thought process. There's no reality to it. There's no rational thought behind it. There's no real distinction between good and evil. It's just a part of our own thoughts. Some of the religions that follow this kind of thing might be those that are Hinduism, Buddhism, um, uh, or maybe even a New Age movement that's here. But that's called pantheism. The third one is this, it's polytheism. You kind of gather by the beginning of its name, poly, which means many, many different ways that there are gods. And so there's a belief that there are more than just one God. That the world really is populated by spiritual beings or many gods or demons. And that these gods, they created us. And our morals then are based upon trying to please or appease these gods. When they're happy, then we've done what is right. If they're not happy, then we're probably doing something that is wrong. And and basically, these these religions are made up of other religions in the world, such as Wicca, Voodoo, Greek mythology, and and there's a variety of others. Matter of fact, anything that really doesn't fall under the category probably of being uh, Jewish, Islamic, or Christian. A fourth worldview is one that we're beginning to see a lot today. It's called postmodernism. And in postmodernism, a relativistic system of observation and thought, it denies absolutes and objectivity. Did you catch that? It's, it's based upon a relativistic system. In other words, if it's, if it's in my moment right now what is right for me, then that's right. It denies that there are absolutes across the board and it denies any objectivity out there that we might have. So in other words, traditional social and cultural context constructs, they're discarded and they're reinterpreted in these relativistic terms. Let's put it this way. Um, things that we have made considered wrong or taboo in the past, beliefs that have given 
uh, validity to traditional cultural values and norms, they're really no longer important. The, this equalization of, of these, these things that used to be restricted by religious terms and, and realms, they have the effect on people today. Matter of fact, it's, it's really just what works for you. Uh, reality then is really socially developed. And so as a nation goes and as people begin to move, it, it just flows together. And so what was wrong 200 years ago may not be wrong today. What was right 200 years ago may be wrong today. It's all based upon our immediate context and the life in which we live. People then are products really of their society. And so truth is relative to the culture that you live in. And absolutes, there are none. And I think we look at people like this and we think these, these people have got to be strange that things shift and change. But then there's a fifth worldview. And this is the one that I think we as Christians fall into. It's a worldview called theism. We believe that there is a God and that He is personally and actively involved in the world today. Man is a creation of God. And truth about God is known through the revelation that He gives to us uh, from Himself through the Word and through experiences. Truth about God is, is really where our morals are developed and absolutes come from Him. And really three main religions out there believe in this. Again, it's Christians, it's Judaism, and it's Islamin, Islamists. They believe that there is a God and, and that there is one God. And so this Christian worldview is what we call monotheistic. There is only one God. Now, a lot of people fall into that understanding that, yes, there is a God, and there is only one God, but we really don't want to name Him. The Apostle Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. It's an, it's an important passage for us to really look at. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Now listen to verse 8 here. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. See that no one takes you captive by these, these philosophies and these empty things that are out there. But we need to be captive according to Christ. So I want us to examine three philosophies that are deceiving our world today. The first one is this. Well, no one can say what is right or what is wrong. Have you heard that lately? <laughs> I hear it all the time. Who are you to tell me what is right and what is wrong? I mean, that's something we have today. And, and, and our, our perception that people have today, they, they want to say, maybe you think that adultery, abortion, homosexuality are wrong, but who are you to decide for all humanity that those are wrong? It's my body, it's my choice. I mean, that's on every news station that we're out there to hear today. You hear it on the radio, you see it on television, you read it in the papers, you can pick up books that tell you that today. A recent Gallup poll made this discovery, and it noted that 82% of college students today say they believe in no absolute truths.
It really is anything goes. Morality has been reduced to basically every man for himself, survival of the fittest. And if you can prove yourself to be stronger and you are victor, just as it was with the allies, then you determine what is right and wrong. Right and wrong is no longer based on absolutes, but on individual preferences. So, George Barna, in 2016 research on culture and media, they gave their findings in an article that was entitled, The End of Absolutes, America's New Moral Code. And so, we ask, well, what's it based on? Where does it come from? And how do we get to, a, to this position? And how can someone know what to do when they're confronted with a choice to determine really what is right or what is wrong? And are there morals out there? And according to the majority of American adults in this study, 57% of American adults know what is right or wrong is a matter of personal experience. All right, The view is much more prevalent among our younger generations than it is among the older generations. Matter of fact, about 74% of what they classified as the millennial generation agree strongly with this, this statement. The statement is, whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth that you can know. Whatever is right for your life or whatever is best for you is the only truth that you can know. And Barna's survey says that there's about 74% that believe that. However, of the older generation, only 38% believe that. Now, Dr. Jeff Myers, he runs the Summit Ministries out in Montauk Springs, Colorado. He tries to give us an example in this, and he says this, when one of my college professors proclaimed there are no absolute truths, I asked him, Professor, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm sure. Are you absolutely sure? He stared at me. You're very clever. He said, and if I say that there are no absolutes, then that is an absolute statement. Well, let me revise my remarks. There is one absolute, which is this. There are no absolutes. It's careless logic of his reply stunned me, he said. He refused to see the truth. This should not surprise Christians, however. Proverbs 4, verse 19 says, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not even know what makes them stumble. You see, without a moral compass, people can't make decisions that are based on rationality about what is right and what is wrong for themselves or really for, for society. Unless there's something that says this is true north, unless there's something that says this always happens when you do this, then really there's, there's no way that we can learn to live as a society and we can make good decisions. We can't decide if, a, if an unborn baby is a human being or is just a blob of tissue because we've listened to the rhetoric of the uh, politically correct instead of checking out the medical facts that support what the Bible says itself. On subjects that range from abortion to homosexuality to euthanasia to human cloning to sex before marriage, we've become a nation that is just led by what is popular. 
Whatever is really going through the evening news, we all fall prey to that. Or whatever is being shown on our Hollywood movies, we say, that's right. Whatever is being taught in our halls of academia, that has to be accurate and that has to be true, rather than the biblical morality that is expressed in absolutes that has stood the test of times for generations. In John chapter 18, John is writing and describing what took place in the scenario as Jesus was standing before Pilate, there before his crucifixion. And it begins in verse 37. It says, Then Pilate said to him, So you're a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to truth. Everyone who is of the truth, listens to my voice. Now listen what Pilate says. Pilate said to him, well, what is truth? And I think we've got a generation of people asking that same question today. What is truth? Are there really any absolutes out there? Is there anything that is non-changing, that is, that is always the same? What is truth? And I think it's a good question, and it's being asked by millions and millions of people in our generation today. I mean, where do we go to get the right answer? I mean, where, where can we get the bottom line of, of the foundation of things? And, and, and when we look at this, is everything really so vague? And isn't there some place you can go to find a solid answer about life and the big questions of life? And I honestly believe that there is. And it's called the Word of God. Listen what Scripture has to say in Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Jesus put it this way in John 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And in John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So how will we know what is right and what is wrong? I mean, where are we going to come up with those answers to define that? And it's not based upon what is relevant for you today. It's not based upon how the big bully tells you to do things. What is right and what is wrong is based upon something that has a foundation on it that never changes, and it is the Word of God. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can rely upon that. Now, the second deceptive philosophy is this. No one can know anything for certain. I mean, there's nothing that's really sure out there, is there? Well, on the first day of class every year, this one uh, philosophy professor would ask his students this question. He would say, how many of you believe the sky is blue? Maybe it's green, but society has conditioned you to call it blue. After several other examples, he would gloat. My point is, you can't know anything for sure. Now, the postmodern mindset has embraced this philosophy with abandon. Martin Heidegger, he's a, a German uh, philosopher and existentialist, he said this, and, and let's read it. He says, in the naming, the things named come into their thinging. Thinging 
They unfold the world in which things abide, and so are abiding ones. Let me read that again. I don't think we read it wrong. But follow me. Here we go. This is what he said. In the naming, the thing's name come into their thinging. Thinging, they unfold the world in which things abide, and so are abiding ones. Sometimes smart people confuse me. <laughs> you too, I take it. Well, let me kind of define what he's saying. In other words, there is no such thing as objective reality. Reality is what each person creates for himself through his experiences and his communication with others. All right? Again, Dr. Jeff Myers at Summit Ministries. He tries to explain some of these philosophical things that are going on. And so he said this. He said, I disagree with this thinking for a very practical reason. A number of years ago, I used to, uh, to, to I started a company that trained students in wilderness survival in the mountains there in Colorado. He said, on the last days of our trips, the guides and I would leave the students behind with a compass and a map. And we would tell them, meet us at the trailhead. And inevitably, they would all eventually make their way to the trailhead, and, and, and they found their way there. But it was because they left them with a compass and a map. Now he said, now let's just picture this. The guy that you have given the compass and the map to now has a very large magnet that is strapped to his back that says, I'm the North Pole. That magnet that he is carrying, a compass, is going to always point to his back. The problem is now, he is a moving point of interest. So wherever he goes is always true north because the compass is going to follow it. So if he shifts to his left or to his right, then everything then shifts and the map has no significance any longer. And ultimately, they would then probably find themselves still in the wilderness in the Colorado mountains. So we need to understand this. We have thousands of people in our lives today who, are, who have fixed their point of reference on a moving North Pole. They change with the trends in society, and families are disintegrating rapidly today. Marriages are falling apart at an alarming rate, both inside and outside the church. We have a former president of the United States who even defined what sexual intercourse is. We have many states today who are approving same-sex marriage. We have disagreement on opposing anyone's opinion, and that becomes hate speech because you don't agree with me. And I ask myself, what's happened? I mean, what have we got ourselves into? Well, we've got ourselves into keeping our eye on a moving north point. It changes with the ebb and flow of the tide of society. And so therefore, nothing really is right or wrong unless it's okay for you. And then again, you're always right. Ask my wife. She's always right. I'm always wrong. But you know, that's what's happening to us. 
We don't have a fixed point when it comes to our values and our morality anymore. We have discarded the Scripture as truth, and now it's based upon whatever you personally think or believe. But I believe that God's Word is true north. It used to be true north. The pilgrims, they weren't confused when they, they settled in the new world about their faith and about the truth of God's Word. The founding fathers, they understood what truth was when they framed our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. They weren't confused. And the majority of the laws within the United States are based directly or indirectly upon Scripture. I think it's only been the last 50 years or so that we have become really confused. Surprisingly, you can chart some alarming increases in divorce, premarital sex, abortion, and other negative societal shifts in America that coincide exactly with the time that we kicked the Bible and prayer out of our public schools. Now, I'm not going to say that that did it. What I am saying is it's the mindset that has been going on in our society that is trying to remove any objective reality because the Word of God is truth. And it points out that what they've been doing is wrong. And we don't like to be told we are wrong. We begin to follow our own North Star then rather than being held to one standard of truth. And the results are devastating. We don't even know who God is anymore. But it's a good thing He does. He knows who He is and He is not changing like the shifting shadows. He's always the same. Now the third deceptive philosophy is this. No one can create their own, their own perfect world. And I think we live in perhaps the most self-centered age in history. Well, at least that's from my perspective. But I know that nothing has ever changed. It's always been the same. And we are still so self-centered that we think everything revolves around us. Everyone seems to be saying, I have the right to not have you influence my existence or bring any kind of effect on me. So it's not about what you say. It's not about what you do. It's about who I am and what I want. And so people are telling us to leave me alone. They have moved from the front porch where they greeted everybody as they walked down the street to the back deck with their fences around so nobody can see in and they can't see out. We have secluded ourselves so much that we don't want to be influenced by other people and we don't want them to affect us in any way so that we can make our own decisions. After all, it's my right, isn't it? My hope and prayers are that we can bring a renewed sense of community back to us. But my fear is, will it ever last? It seems as if this world is just cyclical in this. You read the book of Judges, you understand that. They did what was right in God's sight. And he redeemed them and restored them and he, he brought them into a good relationship. And then it says, and another generation comes... And they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and what was right in their own eyes. And as soon as we say that what God is, is saying is right is wrong, and we do what we want to do, 
we just go back into this motion of, of destroying ourselves. And I need to ask myself, is my life all about me? Is it about me? Or is it about you? What is life based on? I mean, we need to have a larger sense of our own personal destiny than our own earthly success. It's not about what I can do right here in this world, but when we finally reach the end of our imaginary rainbow, what are we going to find? I think I'll find a pot of fool's gold. How about you? I've deceived myself into thinking things that are not real because I don't want to believe what the Bible has to say. But when the end comes, what is there that's left? Are we really so arrogant as to think that we have the power to create meaning for our own lives? Listen to what John, or Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Could it be that Jesus really is the missing piece to our puzzle? If we put him in, he finishes everything. But somehow we've decided we want to take that piece out of the puzzle of life and just leave it over here, and, and it, there's something that's missing. And we're always trying to figure out what it is that will fit there, and we search for a variety of things to put in. We'll search for drugs, we'll search for alcohol, we'll search for relationships, we'll search for money, we'll search for power, we'll search for fame, but none of those things match that piece which is Christ himself. So then the question is, what do we do? I mean, these deceptive philosophies have taken us so far and they've taken so many young people captive at an astonishing rate that, that, it's, that it just boggles my mind where we are as a society today. So what do we do? If we're in a battle, the important thing is to reclaim, reclaim the ground that we've lost. And we do that by developing a strong, effective, biblical worldview. Paul, the apostle, wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He said, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Did you see that? What are we going to have to do to destroy these philosophies? He says, it's right here. We destroy their arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, first, I think we need to embrace the truth that is found only in Jesus Christ. He even tells us there in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, now listen to what he's saying. I mean, it's a profoundly deep statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. When he makes that statement, great philosophers have struggled through the centuries at trying to understand these three questions. What is good? What is true? And finally, what is beautiful? We're always trying to find those things out there, and Jesus, he's answering it in that little statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. As the way, the way in Jesus' day referred to the, the, the moral course of action, how we should live. 
And he claimed to be the way. He claimed to be the standard for what is right and what is wrong. And so we are supposed to live as him. Paul even says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. When he said that he is the truth, he said that the nature and character of God has defined all reality and that he himself was made God in the flesh and that truth came into this world and so we need to listen to his words because his words are true. He's not going to deceive us. He's not going to lie to us. He's going to tell us the truth. And then he finally makes this powerful statement when he claimed to be the life. He established himself as a standard for that which was worthwhile, that which we're all striving to achieve, a full life, and life that is beautiful. So in this powerful statement here in John chapter 14, Jesus reveals himself to be the answer to all the philosopher's quests throughout time. Only one pursuit in all of life yields unending satisfaction. And that is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now the second way that we can take captive every thought is to see that the conflicts in our age, that they're a battle between these two worldviews. One says that God created us and He gives us purpose. And since we are made in His image, we ought to reflect His nature and His character in every sphere of our lives, including our politics. Now, we're not supposed to talk about politics in church, are we? But your politics ought to be developed based upon your worldview. And then we have to find out where is your worldview created. You see why we're in such a mess today? today's secular elites they want to reject that view there is no God there is no standard what you say is right for you does not have to be right for me and so we have state after state after state that are competing with each other trying to determine what is right and wrong what's okay to live this way and okay to live that way which is not okay to live this way and what are your freedom choices that you can make in life I mean, they embrace the idea that human beings invented the idea of God just to help us cope with our meaningless life. But there is a great chasm that is fixed between the worldview that we see today and the worldview of of God. And it's unbridgeable. They do not mix together. They're totally separate. And those that believe that God is inherently irrational they are deeply offended when Christians try to get involved. At least that's my discovery, isn't it yours? I mean, they ridicule. Where do these Christians think that they are imposing their irrational ideas about some make-believe God on us? How are they supposed to tell us what we're supposed to believe and what we're supposed to do? You hear that every day. I mean, they openly criticize any religious person who wants to influence our government based upon Christian beliefs. Sadly, most Christians have been intimidated into surrendering to this secular attack. And it's an ideology that is destroying the church. In his book, Spiritual Marketplace, Wade Clark Roof, he points out that, listen to this, 50% of evangelical Christians believe that all religions are equally good and true. Now hold it, did I read that right? 
50% of evangelical Christians believe that all religions are true. Josh McDowell and George Barna, they note that 56% of evangelical Christian young people today say it is possible to get to heaven without a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you see what we're fighting here? Somehow, in our generation, we have allowed it to become an ideal for life that anything goes. And it doesn't matter what you do. I was talking with somebody earlier this week, and when was the last time you heard somebody at a funeral say the man's in hell? That woman, she surely didn't make it to heaven by her lifestyle. You don't hear that, do you? Every funeral you go to, that person is in heaven. Unless they're an angel watching down on us. Christians, he says, George Barna in his research and Josh McDowell in their research say that 56% of evangelical Christian young people today say it is possible to get to heaven without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The third way to take captive every thought in our current cultural context, we must learn what God's Word has to say about issues. What does it say about abortion? What does it say about homosexuality? What does it say about premarital sex? What does it say about the drug use? What does it say? About, what does it say? And we begin to see a society that's making up what God says. They didn't read it there, but I believe it to be true. I believe that God would never send anybody to hell. We need to pay attention to what the Scripture says. We need to be alert to those who attempt to disregard and ridicule those who believe in God. I mean, a biblical worldview is not just a view of the world, it is a view for the world. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Listen to this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see what he's saying there? You and I have got to be able to, with gentleness, with respect, be able to use the Word of God to correct the people in our world today who are destroying the issues and the values and the morals of America and the world itself. But we do that with hopes that somehow God might lead them to repentance. Because where are they? They're ensnared by the devil. They've got their foot in a trap and they cannot get away. And he is using them for his glory and not the glory of God of heaven. 
They are lost. They have been deceived into believing these things because Satan is alive and active in this world and he is creating philosophies that are trying to destroy the moral truth of our lives. I mean, it's influencing. We need to be infiltrating the, the, the secular humanist because they're going to deny the, the influence of Christ in society today. But we're not allowed to respond in a way that's, that's gonna, that they get to respond? Why not? Because they scream louder than we do. But he said, we must not be quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach, patiently enduring, and at the same moment, correcting. You see, there is truth in this world, but the world doesn't know it. Because if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're clueless. And they're going to try and find something that they can say is true and right. But generally what is true and what is right is what makes them feel good. There's a story that that some say took place up at the the, uh, University of Chicago Divinity School. It's told that every year that they would have this day that was called Baptist Day in which they would invite all the Baptist people from the, the Chicago area onto the university campus there. And they would have this outdoor event that they'd bring popular speakers in from around the world to speak on, on topics and things. And people were supposed to bring their own sack lunch and eat out there on the lawn together as, as the, the program would go. And on one day, everyone was to bring this, this lunch and they were to enjoy the lecture in, in a, the Theological Education Center. And this one year, they invited Dr. Paul Tillich. Now, Paul Tillich, is, he's, he's a German-American existentialist philosopher, and he's also a Lutheran Protestant theologian. <laughs> okay, anyway, Dr. Tillich, he spoke for two and a half hours And this was his intent during his lecture. His intent was to prove that the resurrection of Jesus was false. And he quoted scholar after scholar and book after book. And he concluded that since there is no such thing as a historical resurrection, that the religious tradition of the church was groundless. It was emotional mumbo-jumbo because it was based on this relationship with a risen Jesus who in fact never rose from the dead in a literal sense. That he then asked if there were any questions. And after about 30 seconds, an old preacher with just this woolly white hair, he stood up in the back and he said, Dr. Tillich, I've got one question. And everybody turned to look at him and he reached into his sack lunch and he pulled out an apple and then he began eating it. And everybody is waiting for the question. And so then he continued to say, he said, Dr. Tillich, as he's crunching into his apple, my question is a simple question, eating away. Now, I ain't never read them books that you read, and I can't recite the scripture that, uh, in the original Greek, and he continued to eat his apple. And he said, finally, I don't know nothing about Niebuhr and Heidegger. 
And finally, when he finished his apple, he said, all I want to know is this apple I just ate, is it bitter or sweet? And Dr. Tillich, he paused for just a moment, and in his scholarly fashion, he responded, I cannot possibly answer that question, for I haven't tasted your apple. The old preacher, he dropped the core of that apple back into his bag as he crumpled it up, and he made this final statement. Neither have you tasted my Jesus. And at that moment, thousand plus that were in the auditorium, they began to stand and applaud and cheer. And Tillich politely excused himself and thanked them, and he left the podium. Have you tasted Jesus? Rob, if you all want to come. This world is going to tell you all kinds of things that you should believe in. And it's going to be whatever their itching ears want to hear. They're going to be tossed like a, a wave that's thrown back and forth on the sea, double-minded in all their ways. They, they're really not stable on anything because there is nothing that's foundational for them. But if you have tasted my Jesus, you're going to know reality. You're going to know truth. It doesn't matter what the world has to say. It's the Word of God that's important. And it has lasted through the ages. And it has been battled, condemned, ridiculed, scoffed at, mocked, torn up, burned but it is still active because it is alive. And it has the ability to penetrate your heart and your soul. And when you live your life built upon the, the foundation of the Word of God, nothing is going to cause you to stumble.